Well, we are in week three of our series on Moses and his life. It was a, a hot day. But of course, just about every day was hot in this part of the world. But it just was, it was a hot day. And an 80-year-old shepherd was walking along looking for the all-important but scarce vegetation in this part of the world. He was in literally the desert. There was hardly any plant life around. And so keeping a flock of sheep and goats alive was a genuine task to find the, to, to find the food necessary to keep these animals alive. And so he would take deep journeys into the wilderness. Despite his age, despite being 80 years old, uh, he was a spry guy. And he went into the wilderness, deep into the wilderness. It was called the Sinai Wilderness. And looking for food, looking for water for his, 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 uh, his sheep that he was raising. And in the distance, he caught a glimpse of something. And it was really out of, it wouldn't actually be all that out of place. It was a piece of brush that was on fire. And that can happen in the wilderness, especially a very hot, dry, arid area. Lightning strikes can cause plants to catch on fire. They can even combust to just get so dry out there. So, so, so little rain that these plants can catch on fire. So that wouldn't be too odd. But he noticed as he watched it, it just kept burning and kept burning and kept burning. And it wouldn't burn up. And he was fascinated by this. He thought, this is really incredible. So he walked closer. And as he got closer to the burning shrubbery, it talked to him. And he thought, I need to get out of the sun. That's what I would have thought. I thought, that's sunstroke. I'm, I'm, I, this bush is talking to me. But then on top of it, he answered back and starts having a conversation with the bush. Then you really need to get out of the sun if you're having a two-way conversation with a plant that's on fire out in the wilderness. But he realizes, I'm having a conversation with this bush. Now, now we know who this is in this story. This is Moses. You see, Moses, 40 years before, as Pastor Ty led us through, had been uh, in Egypt. He was the prince of Egypt. He had lived a charmed life. He had lived a life in which he was uh, born a slave, but by miraculous act of God, he was put in a basket in the river and uh, uh, the princess found him and said, I'm going to raise this young man as my own. And so she raises uh, Moses as her own son. Forty uh, for forty years, he's raised in the palace. He, he's 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 given a full education. He's given power and authority and influence. He has all these things, and Moses has all this available to him. But then he murders a slave driver. He knows he's a Hebrew. He sees a Hebrew being abused by a slave driver. He murders them and and hides the body. But he gets found out, and so he flees into the wilderness. And he's been hiding in the wilderness for forty years. For forty years, he's been living. On the edge of the world. And the Bible says that he meets these people called Midianites. The people of Midian. Which is actually really interesting. If you think about the story, it really comes full circle. Because the last time we heard the name Midianites in the Bible was when Joseph was sold into slavery to the Midianites. Who then in turn sold him to the Egyptians. So Moses comes and he, he finds these, this Midianite um, group of, of, of uh, kind of nomadic uh, herders that he, he kind of starts to live with. And while he's there, he gets married, he has kids, and he starts a life. And he finds work working for his father-in-law as a shepherd. So our story is going to pick up in Exodus chapter 2, verse 21. If you have your Bibles open there, if you hopefully are on the Bible app with us, you can follow along with our notes as well. It says this, starting in verse 1. One day... Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. Oh, I I jumped ahead. 
let's, let's back up. We should be in verse 21 of chapter 2. And now you know what's going to happen in a little bit. So, verse 21 says, In time, Reuel gave Moses his daughter Zipporah to be his wife. Later she gave birth to a son, and Moses named him Gershom, for he explained, I have been a foreigner in a foreign land. So Moses finds himself on the other side of the desert. He's been separated from everything he knows by a great distance. It's a significant distance. You think about there's no cars, planes, trains, automobiles. This is on foot pretty much. And so he is many, many, many days journey from where he knows and where he's grown up. And it's been an ever increasing amount of time he's been separated from as well. Have you ever had, it's not just distance, but time that separates you from something. And the more time that goes on, the more distance there is. And so uh, I, I can imagine that as Moses is spending these hours and hours of solitude in the wilderness, this is a barren place. If you look at pictures of where the Sinai Peninsula is, it is barren. It is mountainous in the southern area. And he's just, I, I can imagine his mind would wander and he would think about back to the days he was a prince. He's now a shepherd, the lowest on the totem pole of, of any job you could get. And he, he, I'm sure he would think about his times in the palace, the education he would receive, the, the, the food he would eat, all these things. And he's sitting out there as time goes on. He's thinking about the influence he had, the authority he had, the strength that he had. He was probably known among the Hebrews as like the miracle baby, right? He's like the, 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 the wonder kid. The kid of promise, you know, it's a kind of a secret among the Hebrew people. Like this could be the, the one that's going to lead us out. But now he's a broken man. He's 80 years old. He's on the last third of his life in his mind. And you can probably hear Moses' heartache even in how he names his son. He names him, I've been a foreigner in a foreign land. He probably felt that what I had, what God had given me, he dropped it in my lap. I just threw it away. I squandered it. It's been lost. It was, at, it was at my feet, and in just a few moments, I destroyed it. God, God may have had a plan for me, but whatever it was, it was unquestionably lost because of me. And now, time is ticking by. As a matter of fact, it's not just days and weeks and months that are ticking by. Ticking by. Decades are ticking by. As he lives in the desert, living out his life, remembering what was, and probably feeling like it was lost. So now we can move to where I read in Exodus 3, chapter, chapter 3, verse 1. It says, One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. Stop. Moses comes to this mountain. Far in the wilderness, it says. And it's named Sinai. This name, Mount Sinai might sound familiar to you, and that's for good cause. In some translations, it's used interchangeably with Mount Horeb. And this mountain is the same mountain on which Moses would, in just a few months' time, return with the Hebrew people in their escape from Egypt. I'm giving away what's going to happen in the story a little bit here. But in just a few months' time, Moses and all of the Israelites would return to this very mountain where he's at right now. So they would camp at the base of this mountain. Later in the book of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, they would sit at the base of this mountain for a year. Camped out here. They would, they would spend time here while, while, um, they would, while Moses would receive the law, he would receive the Ten Commandments, he would receive the directions for the construction of the tabernacle. A lot of their identity as a people would happen here at this mountain, Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. And so for the last, get this, for the last 40 years, Moses has been living in the desert 
of this Sinai Peninsula, right here in this area, learning how to navigate, learning how to find water, living how to live nomadically, how to raise flocks, how to raise livestock in a region in which millions of people would depend on him for for their very survival. For the past 40 years, he's been living there. And this time in the desert was an opportunity for Moses to prepare himself in very practical ways for what God would use him towards in the very near future. Though Moses probably didn't ever see or recognize it in those 40 years he was living as a nomad. But here's the deal. A waiting season is not a wasted season. Moses was in a time of waiting. He was in the wilderness. He was, he was feeling, I'm sure, like, this is a loss. This is just, God is done with me. He's t- kind of thrown me to the edge of the world. I'm just living out here. But he didn't realize that God was preparing him for something profound. This wasn't just waiting and doing nothing, but God was working in him on something that would be useful and used by God in a mighty way in just a few months' time. You see, the backside of the desert wasn't rejection. It was preparation. And we can have times where it feels like we're on the far side of the desert. Something has knocked us off track. We feel like our, our, we're spinning our wheels. I'm stuck in this one spot. Um, I, I can't get any traction. I'm, I, I don't see any progress in my life. We feel unknown. We feel unrecognized. Um, we feel forgotten. The dream that God put in our hearts maybe seems so far away. It feels like it's been obliterated and lost. Maybe it's because of something we did. Maybe it's because of something someone else did we had no control over and it feels like it's been destroyed and there's no going back. But let me tell you, God still sees you. Isn't that the miracle? God still saw Moses. He knew where he was at. You may have even given up on yourself, but God still sees you. Your past failures do not necessarily disqualify you from your future calling. And the desert you're in today may be God's preparation for his miracle tomorrow. The place you're in right now, where you feel lost, where you feel isolated, may be God's preparation for his miracle tomorrow. I love what Christine Kane says. She says, sometimes when you're in a dark place, you think that you've been buried, but you've actually been planted. Sometimes we feel like we've been buried and forgotten, but God is working on something. Something new is about to spring forward. And so Moses is far away in this wilderness at Sinai. In Exodus 3, it continues on, uh, continuing in verse 2, it says, So there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. And Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. I'm glad that there's someone else in the Bible that talks to themselves. I'm just going to say that. The other day I was looking for something in the garage and just muttering to myself, full, full sentences muttering, and Gavin's like, Mom, is Dad okay? She, he literally asked, is Dad okay? He's really talking a lot right now. Um, so Moses, full on talking to himself, he says, this is amazing. I'm going to go see what's going on. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses. Here I am, Moses said. <laughs> I... I don't know, I don't think there were candid camera shows back then, but I'm sure he's looking around like, okay, come on. Here I am, right? And so he hears, he hears his name being called from this and he responds with, here I am, which I guess would be a, a logical response if a plant's talking to you and calling your name. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals for you are standing on holy ground. I And the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And when Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. 
So 40 years in Egypt, 40 years in the wilderness, feeling lost. And then Moses comes to a disruption moment in his life. How many of us live the nine to five, living for the weekend, and it's just rhythm? And you feel like, especially with kids in school, you're in rhythm. You're just flowing. But then, boom, God hits a disruption moment in your life. It may be a crisis. It may be a a sudden loss of someone you love. It may be a relationship issue, maybe financial, but there's a disruption moment. And Moses hits a disruption moment in his life where he suddenly comes into an intimate and real encounter with God. You see, we don't really know the full relationship Moses had with God until this moment in this point in history. We don't really know how God, how we knew God or how we understand God. But when God reveals himself to Moses in this moment, it's interesting the different words for God that are used. So right here when he says, I am the God, the word God that's used here is Elohim. He says, I am Elohim. And now Elohim is the Hebrew word for generic God. That means kind of just overall, it could be any God. And, and so, so when he says, I am Elohim, he's saying, I am I am God, but, but it could be anything. It's like Tony, the word Tony, the name Tony. We've got several Tonys in our church. And so, um, actually, we've got two Tonys on our board. And so when we're talking Tonys, we need to differentiate which one we're talking about. How do we differentiate which Tony we're talking about? <laughs> Age, okay. That's usually last name, but also story. No, that's, that's good, story, right? We, we, we mention, like, um, we, we mention... Uh, uh, like maybe they're, who they're married to or who they, uh, where, where they work, uh, their age. It could be all kinds of different things, how we identify who they are. And so God uses a very intentional way he talks about who he is. But Moses would have been aware of many gods. This is why it's important. Moses was raised in a polytheistic society. He was raised in Egypt where they had a God for everything. They had a, a Nile River God. They had a desert God. They had gods of the dead. They had the sun God. They had, even Pharaoh himself was considered a god. And so he was raised in this polytheistic society where there's gods everywhere. And, and, and then there's this, this also this Elohim that's the God of the, the Hebrew people. And so when God reveals himself to, to him, it's important he makes it clear who he is. Because Elohim, this, this, this name, tells God's story. He says, I am the Elohim of your father. He says, I am the Elohim of Abraham. I am the Elohim of Isaac. I am the Elohim of Jacob. He says, there's going to be no confusing who you are encountering today. I am the God of your fathers. I'm the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac. I'm the God of Jacob. These stories you've heard of my miracles, of my power, of my calling. This is the God we're referring to. No other God. You see, it's important we understand what God we're talking about. Because even in our culture, God can kind of be ambiguous. When someone says, uh, you know, uh, throwing out my prayers for you. Or, or what not, what, who are they praying to? Or, or what, in what context? There's so many religions, there's so many approaches of God. We look at uh, uh, the Muslims, they have a God. There's a God of the Christian faith, there's a God of the Hindus, the Sikhs, the Mormons. There's several gods of the Hindus, actually. So there's all these generic gods, but even Moses' father-in-law was a priest of God. But God says, you need to know who you are talking to, which God is here. And so he says, I am Elohim, the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. There's no confusing who you're talking to. And later on, he, he adjusts this to make sure that, uh, that he understands that he is actually talking to Yahweh. And Yahweh is the Hebrew term for God Almighty, the singular God. And so when he says, when you go to the Israelite people, tell them that Yahweh sent you. And so he begins by identifying himself, but then he goes on to give himself an actual title in this. But that's not even in my notes. That's just a bonus point right there. 
So continuing on in verse 7, it says, Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress. This is verse 7. Because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I'm aware of their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. Let's move down to verse 9. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me. And I've seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I'm sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God. Now he's arguing with the bush. Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? God answered, I will be with you. And this is your sign that I'm the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. But Moses protested, if I go the people of Israel to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors sent, has sent me to you, they will ask, what is his name? And then what should I tell them? And God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. There's an important, in this section of scripture, there's an important question that's asked, and there's an important statement that's made in this dialogue. God tells Moses, I'm sending you to do this really big thing. I'm sending you back to the land where you are a wanted criminal. You've got, you've got uh, a warrants. If you get pulled over on your camel, they're going to be like, you got any warrants? And you're going to have to be like, yeah, I killed a guy. And so you're going back to a place where you're wanted. You're going back to a place where the people probably won't even accept you. You're going back to a place where, where, where there's danger. And, and he says, and Moses says, well, who am I? That's the question that's asked. Moses says, who am I? Look at me. I'm a, I'm a, a sheep herder out here in the middle of nowhere. But notice that God doesn't respond well, with, well, let's, let's just talk about some of your good qualities here. You're, you're a good guy. You're charismatic. You're, you're, uh, you, you've got a good education. They gave you a good education back there in Egypt. I think you're just the best guy for the job. Does God say any of that? What does God respond with? I will be with you. I will be with you. Who you are is not the issue. What matters is my presence is with you. Moses, Moses is going, I, uh, who am I to be used by this? And God says, I don't know. It doesn't matter. It's who I am. It doesn't, it doesn't matter who you are, it's who I am in you. And so Moses asks, then what, what, what do I tell the people of Israel when they ask who sent me? And this is God's response. He says, I am. And I am is a deeply personal statement. It seems so simple. Let me just give a little uh, job application warning, uh, just helpful hint here. If you go into an interview and they say, tell me a little about yourself, you can't just answer, I am. So do I have the job or it's not, it's not, it's not very informational. You'd think, but when God says this to, to Moses, there's deep meaning to this because what seems so simple has profound impact. What God is saying to Moses is I am who I have been and I will continue to be who I am. Who I was, I still am, and I will continue to be that person. As a matter of fact, when he says, I am, it's actually a, a, a variation of Yahweh. And so he's saying, I am who I always have been, and I will continue to be. I am unchanging. You see, people aren't like that. Some of us, who went to college or has ever had a roommate in here? Anybody? When you first meet them, you're like, this is going to be great. 
We're going to have pizza Fridays. We're going to have the best time. They're clean and they're this and then that. And you live with them for two weeks. You're like, I have got to get out of here. There's, there's like this precedent that's like a really nice front. And then you realize, ah, oh, things might not be quite as well, as good as I thought it would be. Or maybe the most perfect dating relationship. When you first meet them, I call this the Twitter patient phase. They are charming. They open every door. They don't pass any gas. They are just the most amazing person. The most perfect embodiment of chivalry and all these things. And then you you date them for a few months. You go, "Mm." a lot of the time they're those things. A lot of the time, but not always. But God is who he is. He's consistent. Who we have known him to be, he is today. And he will be tomorrow. He says, I contain all of the traits that I, that I proclaim. I, I not only possess them, I am them. So he says to Moses, you've been gone. Guess what? I've still been here. He says, my power has not decreased and neither do I need to increase it for any reason. He says, I haven't lost any of my wisdom. Neither do I need to just add on a little bit of wisdom or gain any. My holiness hasn't diminished. I have always been perfect. I don't need to have an improvement. I've always been, always have been, and always will have the power that I need. I have all wisdom and knowledge. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. As Malachi 3.6 says, I am the Lord, I change not. And that's what he's telling Moses in those two simple words in I am. So we see these two phrases. I love the contrast. I love this. Moses asks, who am I? And God says, I am. Who am I? I am. It's not about you and what we bring to the picture. Because we're inevitably going to lose ourselves and be disappointed. Look how Moses did things with his own strength we talked about last week. He thought he had the plan. He thought he knew what could happen. Maybe there'd be uh, support from the Israelite people. And then they turned on him of all things. We will let ourselves down. We're going to have pasts that we regret. Um, For some of us, maybe it's a history of addiction or the way we've treated someone. Maybe we feel like we've let other people down. Maybe we feel like we've let God down. We've burned bridges. But the good news is that our past doesn't determine our future. You see, God is ready to use us where we are at. God is ready to use us where you're at. Your past failures don't disqualify you. Praise God. Praise God that our past failures don't disqualify us. At our men's breakfast a couple Saturdays ago, Pastor Todd told the story of the prodigal son. It was powerful. I wish we could have had everybody there. I should have podcasted it somehow. But he talked about when the prodigal son came home and he said, let me live as a slave in your house. And the father said, no, you are my son. I'm going to reinstate you fully. And it wasn't just that he said, you can come live in the house, you don't have to work as a slave and all these things. He gave him some things that were of significance. And one of those things was, he said, go get my ring and put it on his finger. Now, that wasn't just because he thought he needed some bling. The ring was the symbol of the father's authority and power. He could do all business with that ring. You could use that ring to buy and to sell. You could use, and this is a son that just squandered everything. And he said, give him my ring of my authority. See, when God restores us back to him, God uses us as we are. And he says, I am ready to use you. I'm ready to give you authority to be used by me in profound ways. We hold this this weight over ourselves, it says, and, and the enemy would want us to believe God can't use you because of how you've fallen, of how you failed, all these things. But God says, I am ready to, in, to trust you with big things. God is ready to use you with where you are at. Because it's not about who am I, it's about I am.
See, we can say yes, even with our mess. I liked that rhyme. I made that. Thank you. <laughs> Moses brought a mess into that, relation, in that situation. He, he had had a history. He had a background. Now I'm sure he had a family. He's going, I have a responsibility to, a, to, a, to kids and a wife. Now you're calling me to do something that's going to stretch me, that's going to be dangerous. But God, he said yes, despite... He, he had the chance to say yes, despite the mess. Now... He doesn't say it right away. As a matter of fact, he goes on to negotiate with God for quite a while. We're not going to read it all. But the discussion is long and the excuses are many. He has a lot of reasons he can't do this. He's like, ah, people won't believe me. He said, Pharaoh won't listen. He says, I have a speech impediment. He has all these reasons God couldn't use him. As a matter of fact, in Exodus 4, 1, it says, but Moses protested again. He says, what if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say the Lord never appeared to you? Then the Lord asked him, what is that in your hand? A shepherd's staff, Moses replied. A shepherd's staff. Moses had the most common thing in the world in his hand. It was a stick. My dog finds those. My kids play with them in the backyard. They're instantly a gun or a sword. A stick. You can find it anywhere. But God takes this most common thing and he uses it in profound ways. You see, God wants to use what you have. God wants to use what you have. He says, Moses, what's that in your hand? He says, it's a shepherd's staff. God says, perfect. That's exactly what I'm going to use. And he ends up using that ordinary staff over and over for miracle after miracle. Did you know half of the plagues that were brought upon Egypt, the staff was involved. He either raised it over his head, he touched it to the water, but that staff was used by God in those plagues. He threw the staff down and became a serpent. He took that staff and that staff would be held out over the sea to be, for it to be divided. Water would come out of a rock from that staff. Victory and war was won when Moses held the staff over his head. God took the ordinary, all that Moses had in his hand, all that he probably had to his name, and he said, I'll use it. Perfect, I'll use it. And today God is asking, what's in your hand? You may say, it is seriously not a big deal. It's not, I, don't, I can't think of anything all that great. I can't, I can't play the piano like Autumn. I can't play a, a wicked lead part like Chris. Neither can I. I, 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 don't, I don't think I have anything that great. You may say, like Moses, I'm not a public speaker. But let me tell you, God doesn't need our abilities, but he demands our availability. The problem is we switch those two things. We think, we think, well, I've got to be able to do some amazing things. And if I'm not able to do amazing things, my availability is optional. Since I can't do anything crazy awesome, I'm just going to bow out. I don't think God really needs that. God's asking, what's in your hand? You might say, well, I have a clean driving record. God says, perfect. You can help drive kids to camp. You can help pick people up and take some of the, the, the senior citizens to their medical appointments. You can, you can help transport people around. You can, you can be used by me. You, you say, well, I, I don't know. I, babies don't all cry when I hold them. God says, Perfect. You can serve, you can, you can help watch these young, beautiful babies as they're in the nursery so parents and families can come in and receive from me, can hear the word without distraction, without any, being able to give my, their full attention to the word and worship. You might say, oh, I don't know, I, I, I can cook pretty well, I only burn like half the things I make. God says, perfect! That's better than me. Personally, Brent, not God, I bet he could cook amazingly. God says, Perfect! I, there's, there's meals that can be served for, for the hungry, for ministries. There's all these different ways you can be used. You say, I can push a broom. God says, perfect. You say, I can weld. I can put down a bead, a really good straight bead. God says, perfect. You say, I've got a, got a good back. I can lift things. Perfect. I can garden. 
I'll tell you, real story. Tony, one of our elders this week, went to two different senior citizens' homes this week because they were not able, because of their health, to take care of their yards. And they're starting to get overgrown and they're concerned about their gardens. And she spent two hours at each of their homes cleaning it up, mowing their lawn, tidying, pulling weeds, being used by God in profound ways, serving, God making big things out of something that we might consider, what's, what, I know how to pull a weed. God uses it, put it in his hands. See, God sees what's unseen. In his hands, the ordinary becomes extraordinary. But we like to think that we need to wait until it's something really special. I like what Thomas Manton says. He says, God's not going to exercise his power until we rest upon it. We like to think that we can do big things when we're able to do big things. But God says, what's in your hand? God found Moses in his wandering. So this morning, as we respond, I want to ask you, have you been wandering? Have you been on the far side of the desert wandering and you are far from God and you feel unseen? You feel like no one knows where you're at. You feel un... Like you don't even know if God sees you and you felt isolated. Let me tell you, God sees you and he's not given up on you. It doesn't matter how far along in your story you may feel like you're at. God sees you. And he's pursuing you. He's pursuing you. This morning is your opportunity for a God encounter. This is an intersection at life moment right now. This could profoundly change the entire trajectory of your life and knowing that God has come after you and said, I am not giving up on you. This is your moment to come to me. So at this time, I want to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me. For the 4th of July, we're celebrating Independence Day when we cast off the tyranny of Britain and and threw tea into the ocean and all these things. And it was because there was a a despotic leader that, that was ruling over us unfairly and we cast off those chains. But let me tell you, each of us is a slave to sin and these are chains that no matter how much good intention we have, we cannot cast them off ourselves. We can't set ourselves free from sin because each of us has been uh, entrapped by it. And that sin has separated us from a perfect God. We just talked about the God who says, I am. I am all these things that are perfect. There's nothing that compares to me. And all this perfection of God that sets him apart has made it impossible for us to have relationship and to know him perfectly. And God says, because you've been separated, I love you so much, I'm going to send my only son to die in your place where death is deserved and to give you the forgiveness of your sins so that you could know me. And right now God is meeting you. The I am is meeting you and says, trust me with your future. I see you in the desert place and I want to give you life. So with our heads bowed and our eyes closed right now, if you're in this room, you've never given your life to Jesus and this morning is your time it's your moment to say Jesus I want to give you my heart I want to trust you with my eternity and my forever I want to follow you from this day forward with our heads bowed and eyes closed if that's you raise your hand I want to pray with you raise it high raise it high thank you Jesus in this room let's pray this prayer together say dear Jesus thank you for coming for me While I was lost, you found me. I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you died for me and that you rose again to give me life, 
to the fullest. So I receive it today. I make you my king and I make you my Lord. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. This morning, I also want to talk to you if you feel like you've been sidelined, you've been written off, maybe you've failed in your past and you feel like it's separated you from God, it's separated you from purpose, it's separated you from being used, and you feel like, like because of your own wounding of yourself or wounds of another, you feel maybe that time has been wasted, but let me tell you, it's not been wasted. God is ready to use you here and now. And He's ready to use you when we trust Him with what we have. Isn't it amazing that there's an unchanging, unmatched, unlimited, un, 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 unparalleled, powerful God who uses us who chooses to use us in our fragility with our imperfections with our uh, limitations despite all our insecurities all these things god is still wanting to use us and maybe you feel like you've been cast to the far side of the desert but today he's saying i see you and i want to use you trust me with it you say well who am i he says i am so this morning if that's you you say god i want to be used I don't know how it might feel small, but I want to be used by you. Can you raise your hand with me right now across this room? God, I want to be used by you. I want you to stand. If you rose your hand, rose your hand, I want you to stand with me right now. Father, I pray with those that are standing right now across this room. We say, Lord, I want to be used by you. For some of us, we feel like we have been on the far side of the wilderness. It's been a time of preparation we don't understand. But we know that all things work together for those who uh, love you, who are called according to your purposes, Lord. And so right now, I pray that you would begin to stir up within us, to push us out of our comfort zones, to push us into ways where we say, whatever I have is yours, Lord. Use it for your glory. And Lord, I pray that you would put an anointing on those that stand right here, right now. That we would be pushed out of these comfort zones into areas where we say, it's not my strength, it's yours. It's because of that you are I am, not who I am. And we thank you for it, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. For those that are standing, push through the comfort zone. The comfort zone is a wonderful space, but nothing grows in a comfort zone. So it's about trusting God and saying, God, I'm going to trust you beyond what my ability is. In 2 Corinthians, Paul said this. He said, my grace is all you need. God says, my power works best in weakness. God's power works best in our weakness. So recognize, yes, I don't have all the answers. I don't have all the strength. But in God, I have the ability because it's him who works through me. Amen. Amen. You can be seated for just a moment before we dismiss. We're going to do our connection cards together. On your connection card, here's what I'd love for you to write. First of all, if there's anything we can be praying with you about, we have been lifting up prayer requests that have been coming in this week. Uh, our board of elders has been praying over them. But here's another response I'd like for you to put on your connection card. What do you have to offer God that may seem small? Maybe you've been holding it back because you feel like it's so insignificant. What do you have to offer God that may seem small? What are you going to trust Him with? God says, what's in your hand? What's in your hand? Let's take a moment. Fill out our connection cards. You can go to nlcchurch.com slash connect. Let us know you were here. You can scan the QR code or you can do a physical one in the seatback. So ushers, if you can have the buckets ready to go for when we bring the... Uh, the connection cards out for those that have the physical ones on our way out in just a moment you can drop it in the buckets church let's stand together as we close in prayer father i thank you for your story that you've written 
That we see ordinary men and women, people that are not all that extraordinary, being used by an extraordinary God. An all-powerful God who chooses to use earthen vessels, people that are faulty and broken for glory, glory and beautiful things. And Lord, I pray that as we go this week, we would take whatever's in our hand and trust it to you. Not hold it back, not evaluate it, not compare it, but say, Lord, it's yours for whatever you would use it for. And Father, that there would be miraculous, the miraculous that's done through it, that we would never have expected before. And we thank you for it, Jesus. In your name we pray. And together, all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Have a blessed, blessed 4th of July. Stay safe. Don't play with fire.